Shove that in your pipe and smoke it. That's some serious numbers. Welcome to the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell the stories of women through history that you should know about. I'm Lucy. I'm Erin. And I'm Talissa. Another podcast today in isolation, but you girls are looking lovely on the webcam. Hello. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's a pixelation. <laughs> I brushed my hair for you guys. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Love that. Erin, it is your week this week, though. It is. What are we talking about? I am covering Florence Nightingale. Basically the most famous nurse in history. Yes. Um, yeah, so she's basically known for founding, being the founder of modern nursing um, and basically implementing sanitar- uh, like sanitary practice in healthcare in the, in the, in the medical field. Um, That's a bit scary to think about. Sanitation had to be introduced by someone. Oh, yes. Oh, we're going right, oh, we're going right back to the 1800s, doll. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Strap in. There's a lot of, <laughs> this is, yeah. Serious history lesson. Um, And she's also nicknamed the Lady with the Lamp, but we'll get to that a bit later. Uh, She's super relevant because at the beginning of April, a pop-up hospital opened up in London to help treat COVID-19 patients, and it was aptly named the NHS Nightingale. Okay, so she's, as I said, known for founding and revolutionising, I can't speak today, revolutionising nursing and nursing practices and instilling sanitary reforms in healthcare. And basically creating a blueprint for public health care that would carry through over 200 years later. Wow. She, okay, so she was born in the, on the 12th of May in 1820 into a wealthy British family. She was born in Florence, Italy, hence why her name's Florence. But then they, but then they, moved, they moved to Britain. What are your thoughts on that? Sorry. You know, Sydney, they're born in Sydney. Is it, what are, have we got any thoughts? Well, I don't know what the trending baby names of 1820 were, but I feel like the name Florence is a cool name anyways. I love that name. Yeah. I'd, I'd name my daughter Wollongong, you know? <laughs> yeah. Loftus isn't that. It's not that poetic. <laughs> Loftus is, yeah, no, actually. Like maybe Lofty. What's it short for? Loftus. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So unusual. <laughs> Well, her sister's name's even better. Her sister was born in uh, Greece, I think it was, and named after that city, which was Parthen Parthenope. Parthenope. <laughs> Good. That's a cool name. Parthenope. Whatevs. Uh, but so, okay. <laughs> so she was born into a British, uh, very wealthy British family. They were impressive, very well-respected Um and they contributed to her taking on a very liberal humanitarian outlook. Her father, William, was a Unitarian. He was very much into politics and he educated Florence and her older sister, Frances Parthenope. PP, for short, I guess. Get this, he was 23 when he married Florence's mum, Frances, who was 29. Cradle snatcher. What up? Oh, yeah. He was, and her father... So she was quite wealthy as well. So her father was a noted um, abolitionist, okay. which is um, was a movement in the late 18th and early 19th centuries to end the practice of slavery. Right. And you knew the word? Didn't know where we yeah. came from, so now I know. <laughs> yeah, but he was a noted abolitionist. So Good man. Um, so Flo, 
Florence, our girl Flo, was very gifted with mathematics and it would later pay off in her career. Her dad actually taught her a lot. Um, he made sure they were very well educated. She was a sponge, as we will soon see. <laughs> uh, during a family trip to Europe, 18-year-old Flo met their family friend and hostess, 45-year-old Mary Clarkie Clark, who bonded with Florence. Is and her name her that actually men Mary Clarkie Clark? Nicknamed Clarkie. Okay. Is there any relation to Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? <laughs> Probably. Let's Marky be honest. Mark and Clarky Clark and Florence Nightingale. The trio yeah. you never knew you needed. Let me just log on to ancestry.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, Florence's mother was very traditional. She was very into women had their place in the household and men had their place in the household and she was she was a socialite she was very into social climbing and making sure that her girls found someone suitable to marry yada 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 yes so when Flo met this Clarky Mary Clark (laughs) they got on really well and um, Mary actually took a liking to Florence which she usually just was friendly with men um not Florence, Mary, um, and basically taught Florence that men and women should be treated equal. So she picked up a lot of really cool sort of um, views on life from this Clarky that sort of carried on from yeah. there. Um, so in terms of nursing, upper-class women did not really do nursing. Her family wasn't very keen on the idea when she decided she wanted to dedicate her life to serving others. And the way that she decided that she wanted to serve others or be something like a nurse was she said that God told her to do it. Okay. And that, I find that really interesting because even though at the time, obviously they were very Christian family and she probably genuinely did think that God had told us to, told her to do it. Um, oh, my God. Like a lot of people back in the day did. They were like, oh, oh, I've got to build this raft. I've got to leave my family. God told me to do it. Like that was very <laughs> much a vibe. I wish we still had but I also like the idea that she used it as an excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, like, um, God actually just told me He wants me to go out um tonight with all my friends in Oxford Street, so I must <laughs> do that right now. Not during isolation, obviously. It is the will of the Lord. After ISO, yeah. Who are we? Who are we to question exactly. the will of the Lord? He works That's- in mysterious ways. That's why I had to have those three donuts. It was the will of the Lord. <laughs> Jesus told me to do it. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like that that's a that's a, an idea that we could just totally say that that's why she did it. Um, no, no, she was very Christian. Um, anyways, it took her a while, though, to sort of um, get into it because of her family. Like, that wasn't kind of their vibe. So when she was 24, she finally did break the news to her family that she was going to go against the expectations of becoming a wife and a mother. And she dove straight into studying the art and science of nursing. How do you think she did it? Because Mm. I'm picturing her sitting down her family and going, look, guys, I know that my name is Flo. That doesn't mean I need to go with the flow. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for the dad joke. I'm really, really, really sorry for the dad joke. We need the dad jokes. I'm pretty sure her dad was quietly like, yes, queen, because he was like, (laughs) I'm making a child prodigy here. I'm not messing around. And it's quite interesting, actually, because Florence became very well known and like became famous, basically. And her family were like totally reaping off that. They were like, yes, she's our daughter. Yes, perks. Like, yeah, so. Like the Kim Kardashian of the group. Hundy P. Hundy P. Yeah, was her dad the original momager? (laughs) But very different. Like, I can't believe we just compared Florence Nightingale to Kim Kardashian. I know. 
I mean, I like Kim Kardashian, but they're very different. <laughs> okay, so she was studying art, the art of science and nursing. She was a very attractive woman and she was known to be quite charming with a very radiant smile. But she was also very, not cold, but she was quite sharp. Like she was quite a sharp woman. Like she hmm. she was caring and she put others before herself, but she like she didn't stuff around. She was like, cut the fat. Place to be people to 100%. see, etc. Oh, this girl is the definition of a busy, bloody woman. Let me tell you, she sounds like every <laughs> single nurse that I've ever known. Oh my god! And we're just getting started. Like Let so lovely, you. but also like <laughs> they're going to get to the point. It's literally in their veins, yeah. and like hearing about Florence, honestly, couldn't agree more. Okay, so she was very attractive, very radiant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She did have a nine-year courtship with a politician and poet named Richard Mockton Milners, but she broke up with him when he wanted to get hitched because she said it would interfere with her ability to um, pursue nursing. Okay. So she was like, boy, bye. Yeah. Tell him, boy, bye. Um, Yeah. So there was obviously, like, because obviously this was totally going against the norm, very few women from the upper class chose to go into nursing at the time and would, would have done it out of duty, not, like, to make any money or anything. Um, not that they get paid en- enough anyways today. Funny that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so nurses more often came out of the working class families and had no formal education. It was rather just like hands-on training, learn-as-you-go situation, mm-hmm. get thrown in, make it work. Um, rich people were tended to in their homes at the time, so hospitals were really just for the poor and military personnel. So naturally that meant that it didn't have any attention put into it from the higher up. So you can get a pretty good idea about what was going down at the time. Actually, nursing as a profession, um, I read this, it was, this is a quote, nursing fell short of being considered a true profession. Some even thought of nursing as only slightly better than prostitution. Oh. Yep. So this is just kind of the vibe at the time. Nurses were known to, I mean, go. Prostitution, not that I'm slamming that. But they're literally saving us right now from a plague, like from a virus, not a plague, wrong word, but from a virus that is attacking the entire world and the front line is nurses. I cannot believe that people held this opinion once upon a time. I know, but that's why Florence came in and shook yes, up did. the bloody system. She literally did <laughs> change the flow <laughs> of nursing. That's the point. <laughs> so actually at the no- at the time nurses were known to st- – because they weren't educated. They weren't, they weren't coming from – influential yeah. educated backgrounds um nurses were coming from working class families a lot of nurses were poor they were stealing food from patients um they would demand bribes for care and would occasionally fraternize with the patients okay so you know this was the vibe like i said it's all about the vibe you vibe attract your <laughs> tribe okay you sound like a influencer on um instagram join my pyramid scheme hi lucy how you been going <laughs> I haven't spoken to you in five years <laughs> So in 1847, she met Sidney Herbert, a politician and secretary at war. He later on became very helpful in facilitating her future work during the Crimean War, which she is most known for. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the part where she gets she gets real. So in 1847, she travelled. She was a bit naughty, so her parents thought, "We'll we'll send you around the world, do a um, Kentucky, go find yourself, and um, come back and uh, settle down." Okay, that was kind of their mentality. That's amazing. So it's like it's like the same thing as like a gap year. Like go find yourself. <laughs> yeah, come. No, back they literally did get out. They were, like, they were. They're like go on a gap year. Go find yourself. Come back. Settle down. Hush, hush with this nursing, caring for people business. 
But in that time, she ended up traveling with very influential um, people and artists and she went to Egypt and that's where she began formal training at the Institute of St. Vincent de Paul in Alexandria. She explored Egypt and she wrote about the Nile and the temples and basically was the first travel blogger. She was a big writer. I love that. Yeah, there's all these excerpts from her writings that are pretty magnificent. She just like is describing like what she felt when she got to Abu Simbel and saw the big tomb and of Ramesses and it was like, yes, girl, like I would totally follow her on the gram. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, I really do like her dad. Not only did he teach her lots but, and I mean it helps to be rich, but he basically funded her life and gave her a 500-pound allowance a year so that she could pursue her dreams. And just to let you know, that totals to about, do you want to guess how much that would be now in Australian? Allowance? Um, how often was it, sorry? It was 500 pounds a, a, a year. allowance a year, a 500-pound salary in the 1800s. What do you think that would be now? Um, I've got no idea. Three hundred thousand. I was Australian. Say 10, yeah, am I being really generous? That's that's two spectrums. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in between, and we both really wrong. It's about eighty to ninety oh. grand a year. Okay, not three hundred thousand or ten thousand. <laughs> She's not like I mean, getting paid like an NRL player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would feel like I'm getting three hundred thousand if my dad gave me ninety I'm grand happy a year. It's a solid salary. Bernie. Nearly six figures. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Um, But totally paid off literally in the end. So thanks, Dad. Um, She continued some further training in Germany and France and volunteered as superintendent at the establishment of gentlewomen during illness in London. And this all basically prepared her for tending to the British military victims when the Crimean War broke out in 1854. Okay. Which was the war against the Russians over, I think it was like biblical land or something. That's another podcast to tune into. But basically, a I think war Crimea is still a very hotly contested area, isn't it? Yes. Yes. I think yes. It's the whole Ukraine, yes. Russia, Crimea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All that, yeah. Okay. All that shade. I'm just checking with yeah. thinking of the same Crimea. Yes, Talisa? Oh, wow. It's just <laughs> Before the whole conversation, I had my hand up to ask what Crimea was, and now I feel like an idiot. So I'm just going to put my hand down and just shut up because you guys explained it, and I definitely should know what it you is. You can't know so. everything. You've got to learn things. That's why we're all here gathered today. Okay. 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 So back to Florence. So the British military victims were over fighting in the Crimean War uh, in Turkey. And they were being hospitalized in the Scutari hospital there. And basically the conditions were horrid. I'm pretty sure one of the hospitals, which is this Scutari hospital where Florence ended up being sent to, was built on top of a sewer. Just to oh, ah. kick things off there. Yeah. Um, and word got back to Britain because this was the first, I'm pretty sure this is the first modern war where there were correspondence and there were photos and footage and like actual, you know, like it wasn't just a painting mm-hmm. of this war. Wow. So people were actually reporting on this war. So word got back to Britain about the conditions and um, Florence was like, uh, no. So 
Florence and 38 volunteer nurses and a bunch of nuns went to Turkey. They were assigned to this Skatari hospital. Staff were already being overworked there. The conditions were horrid. They were all packed in like sardines. There was no ventilation. The sewer was disgusting. You know, there was vermin. It was disgusting, basically. And mortality rates in the military hospitals were seven times higher than on the actual battlefields. What? They just sent them there to die. Yeah, it was it was horrid. Um, that changed with the help of Queen Flo, How is that though. Possible seven times because of the conditions that these men were lying in. They were basically Impe- lying in filth, oh. their own filth, as well as the filth of others. Infectious diseases were spreading more oh. easily. They didn't have any food. I mean, no, that's yeah, yeah. That's really yeah, gross. It was disgusting. So when she got there, she sent a plea to the Times paper back in Britain to help get the word out about the conditions. She called for the Sanitary Commission, which which were the big reason why a lot of these conditions were improved and then the mortality rates were improved. Okay. But uh, Florence called on the Sanitary Commission to step in and flush out the sewers and improve ventilation, but it took them about six months to get there by the time she got the message over there and the government were like, yep, we'll send them over. As a result, the government, here we go, back to our pop-up hospital. As a result, the government commissioned the design of a portable hospital that could be shipped there. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. How cool is that? And then there's a pop-up hospital in London for COVID. I mean, we've come full circle. We really have. The flow of flow. Florence introduced general hygiene practices as well, like washing hands and wearing protective equipment like surgical caps. Hair would have been dropping in people's like, wounds. Like, yes. So that was a big one. So first of all, no one washed, no one even, the concept of washing one's hands wasn't even a thing. How? I don't understand. It's so Yeah, because they just didn't know. They didn't know. Like they just It's literally making me want to go for a shower. Like I feel so sad for these people. Yeah. It's horrible. But think about it now. People have not no one washes like everyone washes their hands for like at least 30 seconds now. Yeah. But people would not have done that before. It's all a process, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about the vibe and the flow of flow. I think that's a way to come back to that. (laughs) The vibe. So basically, yeah, Florence introduced a lot of general hygiene practices like washing hands, wearing protective equipment like surgical caps. Actually, fun fact as well, I was listening to a podcast today when the thing you said about mm-hmm. hair falling into people's bodies. Apparently, there's so there's a museum in one of the hospitals in London, which I should probably know the name of, um, dedicated to Florence. And she had this bracelet that she wore while she was working over there. And the bracelet was made of her mother, father, and sister's oh. hair. Like not the whole bracelet, but I think there was like a snake oh. on the bracelet made out of the hair or something. I'm a so it kind of defeats the purpose, doll, but whatever. That's really gross. <laughs> oh, my God. But it was totally a thing. I feel like I've watched movies and, you know, where like there's a man on the battlefield and he's like, oh, I'm thinking of my sweetheart, Elsie, back in London, and he opens up his little you know, trinket that she's given him and there's like a lock of her hair in there and he touches it and it's like probably a photo would be okay, but <laughs> yeah. as if that doesn't make me think of the creepy thin man from Charlie's Angels. That's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. guess it was a lot easier in the 1800s to just grab someone's hair rather than try and take a photo of them. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Check your privilege, Lucy. Check your fucking privilege. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did Florence introduce a lot of general hygiene practices, but she also 
set out to change the overall attitude, and I'm going to say it again, vibe of nursing and nurses in general. Just the vibe. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the overall attitude of the profession was changed by Florence and those naughty nurses were no longer allowed to be on the ward under Florence's reign um, past 8 p.m. So male orderlies would issue care at night and this is where she earned the nickname Lady with the Lamp, which was actually from the times when they were writing about her because um, she would do her rounds all at night making sure she could check the patients around the clock and obviously make sure there was no naughty nurses on the ward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is the actual excerpt from the Times uh, where she got that nickname. She's a ministering angel without any exaggeration in these hospitals and as her slender form glides quietly along each corridor, every poor fellow's face softens with gratitude at the sight of her. When all the medical officers have retired for the night and silence and darkness have settled down upon those miles of prostrate sick, she may be observed alone with a little lamp in her hand making her solitary round. Every time you say lamp, I think yeah, well, I it's think- actually, it's funny. They It wasn't really a lamp like those old-timey lamps that she's always pictured with. It was actually like a Turkish lantern, which is <gasps> so way cooler. Like yeah, way cooler. Sorry, Luce? See, I hear you say Lady with the Lamp, and I think Lady with the Lamb. And I just pictured her, like, walking around with this, like, <laughs> roast lamb. <laughs> yeah, not even a live one, just like a leg of lamb. What up? <laughs> just like, is anyone hungry? You hungry? <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, back to Flo. So she was incredibly intelligent, as we know, and she actually used her math skills quite a lot in her career. Um, she used them to calculate mortality rate changes due to the new sanitary reforms in place, and they were all eventually implemented in all British military hospitals. She used wow. lots of graphics and data to showcase her works and research, and there's actually a type of pie chart or a type of graph that's semi-named after her, which is just super casual. Oh, cool. Whatevs, as you do. So calling on all the Sanitary Commission contributed to reducing the death rate from around 42% to 2%. Shove that in your pipe and smoke it. That's some serious numbers. Okay. A 40% decrease. I can do math too, Florence. I can do math (laughs) So she also collected evidence of the conditions upon returning to Britain for presentation before the Royal Commission into the health of the army. She saw the conditions. She's like, not under my watch, but also not under anybody else's watch from now until forever. Yeah. So she was like, I'm seriously going to make some change. When she got back to Britain, um, she established the Nightingale Fund as well, which because she'd already had created a massive status for herself. People were very keen to contribute to that fund. She then went on to establish her nursing school at St. Thomas's Hospital in London, which was the first in the world without like any religious sort of connection. Huh. She also introduced trained nurses into the workhouses where sick paupers were staying. Um, I wait, wait, wait. So she introduced trained nurses into where? No, she introduced training for nurses. Oh, oh I'm following. I thought you said training. And then she oh. and then she introduced so from training the nurses, she then put those nurses into the workhouses. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. We are yes. on the same page. Like- to care for poor people. Because poor people deserve she basically kick started free healthcare. Wow. She went around, she saw what other people were doing, and she's like, right. And then she's like, you're gonna do this, 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 and this. You go here, you go here, you're going here, we're gonna save lives. Just do that casually. 
and it she, worked. She did. And she also went she went worldwide. <laughs> she went global. She went global tour. Well, she didn't do a global oh. tour, but she sent <laughs> nurses, her nurses, her nightingale nurses, which is what they were called. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, overseas to preach this new form of training and sanitary practice. Not only did she establish modern nursing, she also improved healthcare across British society in general. She also advocated for better hunger relief in India after declaring that the sanitary conditions of the soldiers in India basically needed to be enforced in the whole country. Wow. Okay. She cool. also helped abolish harsh prostitution laws on women. Like it's a queen. It doesn't stop. And she also yeah, helped expand acceptance for more women in the workforce. That was kind of her general vibe. I love this. You know, people say like, you know, pick your battles, babe. And she's like, I'm not going to pick my battles. I'm going to like, just watch me. I'm going to cover all of them. Don't worry. Yeah. I've got it under control. So like I said, many of those Nightingale nurses were sent to other countries to bring the nurse training across the seas. In particular, shout out to Lucy Osborne. 1836 to 1891, who led the establishment of Nightingale nursing practices in Australia in 1868. No. She was sent to the now Sydney Hospital, which is the really cool building on Macquarie Street near Circular Quay. Um, oh, reference, a yep. Um, from the UK with teams of nurses. The and this quote is from Osmed. The she was known as the autocrat, dismissing male nurses, demanding strict obedience, and was often in conflict with colleagues. So she was also like, I'm revolutionizing. I'm taking no shit. Goodbye. The Nightingale way. Florence, she did a lot of amazing things, but she, <laughs> uh, one of the most notable for herself in her lifetime was that she became the first recipient of the Royal Red Cross Award, which is given out for exceptional services in military nursing. She's the OG. She did fall ill in 1857 at the age of 37. Like that makes her. So still very oh, young. Um oh. And she fell ill from brucal. I think it's brucolosis, brucellosis, and it basically you get it from ingesting unpasteurized milk, which sucks. But she no. also had, she became bedridden for the latter part of her life onwards. Some people say uh, she just got sick and that's what put her into bed. Some people say no, no, she actually had depression and that's what put her into bed. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people say that. She didn't like the fame of it all and that's what she used to kind of hide away from it. Obviously, obviously her celebrity did a lot of beneficial things in yeah. in pushing a lot of these, these revolutionary changes in healthcare and attitudes on the profession, et cetera, et cetera, but she didn't like the celebrity of it and she thought that it took away from the actual message of improving healthcare. Yeah, so gotcha. some people say that she actually used the illness or even used the depression. I'm not saying she used them as excuses, but that she they were, they were a way for her to step away from that. Yeah. But it didn't stop her from yeah. still working. This podcast I listened to today, they were saying how it was a BBC podcast and they were saying that she wrote like 100 letters a month from her bed. Whoa. Yes. So when I find it, here we go. She wrote about 100 letters a month and in pioneering for hospital planning. So she was always finger on the pulse. She was just like, I will work from bed. She's loving it. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Original work from home, really, let's be honest. (laughs) She And then they also said in the podcast, apparently she was very funny in a lot of her letters and she had a really good sense of humour. Again, she ended up dying peacefully in her sleep in 1910 at the age of 90. And although that 
they offered for her to be buried at Westminster Abbey. Her family declined and she ended up being buried at Hampshire. So she's just so down to earth. This is really cool. So International Nurses Day is celebrated on her birthday, the 12th of March, oh, May. Oh. Yeah, so that's cool. That's cool. And new nurses in the US take the Nightingale Pledge, which was created in 1893. The International Committee of the Red Cross established the Florence Nightingale Medal in 1912 and Australian nurse and brave woman Kirsty Bowden was the first to receive the award posthumously after she was killed whilst helping victims during the London Bridge terror attack. Wow, that name sounded so familiar. Yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. she's the first one to receive the Florence Nightingale Award after she passed away, so... It's pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. So A Florence Nightingale doll was added to Barbie's official inspirational women range this this year. So 2020, the new range (laughs) includes a Florence Nightingale doll and two other dolls, including our episode one tennis queen, Billie Jean King. Really? And jazz singer, Ella Fitzgerald, who I love. But no Empress Theodora yet. <laughs> Come to their own piece. You can um, add them to the set. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, and obviously there's about four hospitals in Istanbul named after her, but there's hospitals and wards and statues and museums and everything, accolades. She has made her mark on the world, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, definitely. And I do not want to sound like a wanker, but I'd just like to dedicate this episode, obviously, to all nurses and especially those on the front line during this pandemic. And to my mum, who is also a nurse. Love you, Kath. Could not do what you do. Good on you. Love it. That brings us to the end of another Fierce Females of History podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. You can hit us up in a couple of places. One of those is the email, which is fiercefemalesofhistory at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at Fierce Females of History or Instagram, Fierce Females Podcast. Or you can use your extra remaining weeks in self-isolation to train your dog to deliver a letter to us. Might be tricky. We have faith. Train your dog, get them to deliver the letter. We'll read the letter. We'll probably keep the dog. (laughs) Yep. But definitely doing that. That's okay, right? Yeah. (laughs) We'll not get your dog back. (laughs) Thanks, guys.